On this episode of War No Damn, experts Rebecca and Maddie have a guest in, and we talk about how your actions while recreating outside could be the storyline for Armageddon 2. Best damn podcast, the best damn town. You want to get up, get ready to get down. Welcome to the greatest damn town in Montana, Great Falls. I'm Rebecca Ingham. And I'm Maricela Hazard. And we're no damn experts. But today we have an expert on the podcast who brought in graphic material (laughs) and pretty much made everyone at the table want to leave. Um, Just you. You got the heebie-jeebies. I was fine with the bugs. (laughs) He was only slotted an hour to visit with us about two weeks ago, and we wanted more time with him. So please welcome to the podcast, Colin, who is an expert on invasive species in Great Falls, Montana, and other places of Montana, like all invasive species, right? (laughs) That's right. The whole state. So your official title would then be Doctor of Invasive Species? I don't know if I would take it that far, but... (laughs) They're self-proclaimed doctors. You can just, just say yes. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. I'm a. I'm I mean, a it is Montana's number one podcast, so not a whole bunch of people are going to hear that you've just claimed to be a doctor on invasive species. <laughs> <laughs> so, Colin, what's your official title? We know you're here in Montana with the AmeriCorps. Um, AmeriCorps. 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 There we go. Yep. So the specific program is the Big Sky Watershed Corps, and okay. I'm serving with a nonprofit based here in Great Falls. The Central and Eastern Montana Invasive Species Team, that's CMIST for short. You know us conservationists, we love acronyms almost as much as the military, but not quite. I think they got us beat a little bit. So with that title, I uh, conduct invasive species prevention, education, and outreach in the state, everything east of the divide. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Rebecca says... We're going to have a meeting with Colin in about two weeks, and he's going to talk to us about invasive species in Montana. And I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is going on? What does this involve? Am I going to fall asleep? And then he comes in with a case of goodies. And pictures and posters and cool sayings and stickers. And yeah, we were fascinated by everything you told us. And we, we think it fits perfectly with the Recreate Responsibly message. A hundred percent agree. And, and I have to tell on myself and then my husband. So when we originally planned this, I was like, Maddie, I'm like, in more invasive species training. Like, I don't want any more of this. However, your training a hundred percent the best out of all the other training that we got nothing is more informative nothing is cooler than the posters Mm -hmm. so we've got a lot of information for guests as they are traipsing around our area recreating in the outdoors but after the presentation i went home and i was sharing all my newfound knowledge about invasive species about (laughs) bullfrogs and (laughs) weeds and um, aquarium dumps and all this other weird stuff that we talked about and my husband says, why didn't I get to go to this? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Colin does one-on-one stuff, but 
Maybe. I don't know how many people came into our office and we told them about you. We. <laughs> You're now Colin, a local celebrity. All right. Colin was here, and when he asked about questions, I didn't have any questions about the invasive species. I had questions about him. Like, where did you get your education from? Because when Colin's going to tell you about invasive species, this is one of the few career fields, I think, where you actually use everything you learned in school. And Colin's like, well... You shouldn't like this plant. I'm like, okay. And then he's like, because if the plant comes here, it's going to tear up that, and it's going to be in the riverbed, and and then erosion, and then the pigs, and and pretty much we're all going to die. It's so, kind of a, an apocalyptic message, that's for sure. So everyone knows you, and they're excited to hear about these messages that you have. And the main thing that you kept repeating during your your conversation with us, or lecture, I should say, was... Clean, drain, dry. So what what does that mean if I don't have a boat? Or so, if I do have a boat? Yeah. So <laughs> basically, the bottom line is that invasive species are non-native species that get introduced to native ecosystems primarily through people and our movements, things we do like recreation, as well as even farming and road construction and all of the above. Um, And so the message that we want to get out there is prevention. And one of the primary messages that we use to do that is the clean, drain, dry message. And that's what we used to get the point across about aquatic invasive species and what clean drain dry stands for is that you want to clean all plants animals and mud from all your equipment and gear drain any standing water and then let it dry and that message is actually applicable across the board yeah, so like your hiking boots. But I'm so glad you didn't bring your... Fly fishing waders, which is one mm-hmm. of the things I would have never thought of until we had our conversation. I'm so glad you didn't bring that... Um, the bug chart? Example. Oh, the muscle display? Oh. The display. Um, that's disgusting. But it, you, I you love just... it. Listeners, you know Maddie and I will... Would not always be on the same page when it comes to these things. The muscle display was amazing. Mm. (laughs) How much? How much did that cost? I'm not sure, but I've been told that they're quite expensive. And uh, if I ever had a entrepreneurial bone in my body, that I should move somewhere that has muscles and start putting things in the water and selling them. Well, the cool thing about it, and of course, the podcast isn't traditionally in a visual medium. We've done it before. It's not always been good, but this would have been an awesome episode to have a visual medium. Yeah, it would have been cool. We'll get a picture of it. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Maybe, yeah, we'll see where we can go. But I wouldn't want to stare at that thing for, for an hour and a half. The other messages you have on your poster, um, what's this one about? The... uh, yeah, don't move firewood. Well, no, the pig That's one. what. Oh, I want to know the, about pig? the pigs. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to know about the pigs. Exactly. <laughs> everybody loves to talk about feral swine, okay. in my experience. Um, I think don't move the wood. That's what Tree said. Stickers are really a great message for a lot of our people who are out there building campfires. Don't take the wood out of the mountains. Yeah. I didn't think that because a lot of people do their scenic drives or trips through Montana. While we want you to stay in Great Falls, Montana, 
In we, one of our lovely lodging properties. But when you come visit Great Falls, Montana, don't bring your split firewood from home. <laughs> there you go. Buy it from a local source, support local entrepreneurs, or gather it on site wherever you may be camping. See, solid words of advice. And being a Montana chick, I will tell you, the first time I saw firewood for sale at the grocery store, I'm like, what kind of losers? <laughs> can't can't find their own firewood. What if and it's then, wet outside, Rebecca? Then well, you need to buy dry. Yes, I get that. But now, knowing that they carry invasive species, it's oh. very important to buy firewood in the area if it's you know, wet or you're not handy with a chainsaw. Yep. And besides the pests, one thing that's a specific threat to the West is introducing forest pests can also increase the fuel load for wildfires, which is always a big concern. Yeah. See, it's not just one thing. Every step has a repercussion that ends in apocalyptic disaster. Pretty. Well, I mean, <laughs> think about it. You move the firewood from point A to point B, and then you, you cause that wildfire. Yeah, and seems simple. <laughs> seems like a simple thing, but it, nope. How do you sleep at night knowing that? <laughs> how do you, you don't. <laughs> you don't, because your house Leave is Leave the wood fire. where it lies. <laughs> You guys are horrible. And then, you know, with the wildfires, that clears out all the soil for more. What, what You said noxious? What are they called? Noxious weeds. I've never heard that word before. I thought it was yeah. obnoxious. Yeah. Like, what's the difference? Well, so noxious weeds cause huge impacts to agriculture. Um, they actually cost the state about 89 cents per acre per year. Um, it, with the management and treatment, the loss of forage oh, wow. to livestock and wildlife. And so even besides agriculture, uh, when we don't play clean go, uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw too many of these. For, uh, oh, no, no, no there's no, not fine. too many. We love it. Our <laughs> listeners obviously love it otherwise. But, and there'll be a test at the end. You can get it at the show notes, mail it in, win a prize. There you go. Yeah. So if we'll you don't. We'll send you firewood. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, But yeah, so when you don't clean your gear in between recreating, whether that be hunting, fishing, uh, what have you, mountain biking, ATVing, you name it, you can then introduce those weeds to previous agricultural lands that weren't inhabited by those weeds, as well as public lands like national forests that we want to preserve and those noxious weeds decrease forage value for wildlife as well. So you're telling me I have a leg to stand on when I complain to my husband for coming back with muddy boots and he just leaves them there. 100%. Because no. I'm like, Mark, pl- <laughs> clean this up. I like, clean off your shoes. And he's like, why does it bother you? It's on the mat. And I'm like, because it bothers me. It needs to be cleaned. But I have a leg to stand on that um, the weeders should be hung up upside on the garage, which they are. But the hiking boots are always muddy. Okay. All right. Clean them off. Clean everything off. Clean, drain, dry. All right. And then play, what is it? Play, clean, go. Play, clean, go. Which is basically the same thing as clean, drain, dry. Um, It's just the slogan that we use for for recreators, um, like mountain bikers and ATV uh, and hunters. So one of the cool things, I'm going to talk about bugs because it now makes uh, Maudie very uncomfortable. Um, 
But you were telling us about how microscopic some of these snails and clams and mussels all integrate into our systems is they're just super small. You're never going to be able to detect them. Yeah, some people do suffer from microscopic mussels. <laughs> She's big into dad jokes. I had to. Should have prepared that. You set me up. Okay. But, but they're very tiny. But some of the snails will suck into themselves and get dry or hold their moisture in and, and can last for a long time. And it's not just like on motor propellers, but on tow ropes and anchor ropes and other stuff. So talk to us about the, the bug problem when it comes to the water. So there's not really um, any aquatic invasive bugs that I have any information for you, but I can speak on the mussels, the snails, and that sort of thing, as well as if you're not uh, cleaning off those wading boots, as you mentioned, uh, when you come out of the river and walk through the mud, and then you're then walking through the riparian zone, which is just the uh, section of bank immediately uh, along the river, basically the, the flood plain, um, that area, you can then transport noxious weeds and riparian invasives like Russian olive and common buckthorn or the New Zealand mud snails because they like to hang out down in the mud and that's the one that you mentioned that can close itself off uh, to retain its moisture to then be transported to a new place. So then even after it comes out of the water, if you don't clean those boots off, those mud snails live in the mud as their name suggests and you can actually move them to a new body of water as well. And these are all invasives that we currently have in the state but they are not distributed throughout the whole state. Those mud snails are only in about a third of the state right now. You so say keep right them now. there. Like, yep. But you, you kind of had this uh, negative outlook. <laughs> you kept saying they're not here yet. I've been told I was a pessimist before. Okay. So okay. They're not here yet. So that means if people don't start clean play or play clean go or clean drain dry mm -hmm. that it's just going to take over the world and this is the starting of a very weird sci-fi movie yes well so the muscles are taking over in a lot of places and that's the big one that we're trying to keep out with the clean drain dry message and the boat inspection stations and that sort of thing and actually this year we've intercepted 27 muscle fouled watercraft entering the state so far Ooh. which is uh by far more boats than they had stopped by this time last year so what happens when your boat is stopped and flagged do you get a fine you get sent home no so you won't get sent home <laughs> however you will receive a mandatory decontamination where they pressure wash your boat and uh, they do that with really hot water at at least 120 degrees Fahrenheit to decon but however like you mentioned the mussels in their larval stage this is called the villager stage can also be microscopic so even after you do that decon it's still very possible that you could miss something especially in something like a sailboat with a large kill coming up into the middle of the watercraft or a wakeboard boat with ballast tanks and that sort of thing. So what happens after your boat is confirmed as muscle fouled, it receives the mandatory decontamination, but it will also receive a steel cable lock 
on the boat itself where it's attached to the front of the trailer so that it, you cannot launch at your destination. And then a FWP supervisor will then do a follow-up inspection and potentially take your boat. No, he won't, he won't steal your boat, but he will require 30-day dry time if he does not feel that the boat has been properly decontaminated uh, prior to launch because the uh, mussels can survive for up to 30 days out of water. Oh, wow. So the 30 days then allows them that opportunity to wither up. So exactly. it may seem like a free boat wash, but it's actually like a, a free it is a that's detention. what we call, you know, we went to Tiber two weekends ago. It was awesome. And that is one of the bodies of water that is very, I don't know what do you call it, being looked at to make sure that there's no spread of invasive species there. But we call it the free boat wash. Well, we're like, all right, we're done fishing. Let's go get our boat washed. Yep. So when you come out of Tiber, that's, that's a thing. It's a mandatory boat wash when you come out of there because it was the only water body in the state confirmed positive for muscle villagers the larval juvenile stage that i mentioned i apologize for dropping all these scientific terms on oh, you no, guys I'm fascinated. No, I, love it. I love it like when you're saying about the one part of the riverbed what's that called the riparian the corridor ri- the riparian corridor because <laughs> <laughs> i mean who says that the people Excuse. who know how to use it and so when you get your boat washed it's not just a boat wash it is all watercraft paddle boards kayaks canoes correct yes even unmotorized watercraft um i even saw a funny picture from one guy that pulled into an inspection station with a giant inflatable unicorn oh. that, and he had to stop and be inspected <laughs> <laughs> because um Like I said, with the non-motorized watercraft in particular, you can even transport invasive species with the mud attached when you are pulling it in and out of the water. I didn't know what watercraft uh, inspection mandatory meant when we were moving from whatever place we were moving from, and I was the one towing the boat. So, yeah, I found out quickly. Um, My husband's like, where are you? Because you're not following me anymore. And I pulled off. I'm like, am I supposed to be here? And they're like, yes, it's a $700 fine if you don't, because we'll... We're going to get the camera footage on you. Oh. Yeah. So we're going to stop at tons of them moving from California to Montana and Louisiana to California. Yes. Yeah, so if you don't stop, you will get chased down by DNR <laughs> and fine. Yes. <laughs> or made to go back to the inspection station. Well, I, yeah. Hopefully it's not the fine because that's, that's an expensive one. But I understand because you're causing the wildfires and the end of the earth. Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> We joke, but it is possible that you could cause the end of the earth. Yes. Um, Now, I'm going to ask you to tell people a very unpopular thing. Back to the pigs. (laughs) Yes. You know, you're talking to a lot of people from Montana, and obviously people outside of Montana that come here for hunting trips. We're not supposed to shoot pigs? That's correct. Under Montana law, you cannot shoot feral swine. You cannot hunt feral swine. However, they are not currently confirmed in the state, Okay. but they have been released and people have been hunting them along the Canadian border and the Highline area where we border Saskatchewan and Alberta. So there is the possibility of them making their way down through the Canadian border into the state but the, of Montana. But the border is closed. 
Well, pigs <laughs> don't exactly respect human boundaries. They don't care. No, they pigs don't, don't care, care at all. We do get a lot of guests into the state of Montana, especially into Great Falls from Texas. And Texas has a big pig problem. We don't want their big pig problem. No. No, and, we don't. And so what you're supposed to do when you see a feral swine is squeal on pigs. Yes, you got it. I taught you guys well. <laughs> yes, we know stuff now. <laughs> so, yes, also under Montana law, uh, if you see feral swine, you're supposed to contact the Department of Livestock immediately. They're the ones responsible for managing feral swine in the state and... Because if you shoot them, an interesting fact that they have discovered in places like Texas is that you actually uh, increase their dispersal rate and the damages and that sort of thing. You actually increase the pig populations when you try to shoot into what they call a sonder. I love it. <laughs> that is uh, basically a herd of pigs. A group of pigs. And they travel in about... Uh, a group of 25 to 30 and then when you shoot into them they disperse into two to three groups and then reproduce another 25 to 30 head sonder i liken it to the fact that your sonder always has to be at least 20 to 30 people <laughs> so pigs. all of a sudden well yeah well, I just pigs. Love, I love that it's a sonder. And so when you get separated from your original sonder, you got to make a new sonder. Get to it. And it's like, all right, the clock is ticking. We got to get our sonder back up. We have nine. We need 16 <laughs> yes. more. Everyone, let's go. So why is it called a sonder? Or is it just another trivia question? Like I'm supposed to know a group of crows is a murder <laughs> you know i don't know the reasoning behind that one it's like i would have to do more of... research on that so you're we are then taking away your title of doctor <laughs> <laughs> that's okay you can rescind that one because i'm not actually a doctor anyways Sonder has nothing to do with invasive species it's just the name it's of a grouping to a pig who is yeah. it so we <laughs> don't want them here <laughs> But, you know, hey, just a PSA for anyone else listening outside of Montana that has that problem, too. Please don't bring your pigs here and yeah, sell no. tickets for a pig hunt. No. Keep your pigs away. So I have a question because earlier we were telling someone, hey, Colin's coming in about invasive species. And we're so excited. And she's like, well, I have a question for him. <laughs> I live a little bit outside of town and there's this weed and it has purple, tall, leafy weed that gets a... Round purple, thistle, not thistle like, a round, not a bulb, round purple flower on it. And so she's she's supposed to give you this description and you identify it. Well, so there's that that description could be applicable to uh, multiple things. However, I believe she's probably referring to spotted knapweed. Is that a noxious? It is. That oh. is an invasive noxious weed that, was my that has no forage value for livestock or wildlife and a big propensity to spread here. It really likes it here. If you go up to just the North Shore Trail, uh, you can see along the mountain bike trail just, you know, huge swaths where it's uh -huh. covered with knapweed. Because they didn't thing play clean even, go. Exactly. They did not clean their mountain bikes or it could have been brought in with 
livestock. So you're telling me if I'm on the North Shore Trail, the River's Edge Trail, mm-hmm. and I take my bike there, and then all of a sudden I go, I'm at Giant Springs, or like I'm supposed to, yeah, clean between. Wow. <laughs> I wouldn't take it that far because down at Giant Springs they probably have it too, <laughs> but. If you recreated on the North Shore Trail and then you were going, say, let's just let's just say to Missoula, you wouldn't you would want to clean it. I mean, chances are spotted knapweed is pretty um, prevalent in the state at this point. But there are other noxious weeds that aren't uh, like one that we have here that's slowly spreading that. Um, is is kind of a scary one is what's called ventanata. Oh, that's right. And so that is one that you could spread, and they do have it west of the west of the divide as well. But most of the state does not have ventanata currently. What uh, is ventanata? It's another invasive noxious weed. Uh, livestock and wildlife doesn't like to eat it because it's high in silica content, um, so they don't like it. And it also is one of those that can proliferate with fire um, easily once because it's an annual winter grass. And it's also perfectly adapted to central and eastern Montana. It's out of the Mediterranean. It likes cold summers and hot, I mean, cold winters and hot, dry summers. We have that here. We do. (laughs) The local NRCS office is actually working on a ventanata tip this year, uh, which is a targeted implementation plan. What is the RCS? The NRC, oh, NRCS. Oh. The National Nat- Re- Natural Resource. You're just guessing. Conservation Society. Service. Society. Service. That's right. And they're under the USDA. And um, USDA? No, I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, what is that? United States Department of Agriculture. But yes, so they are actually working on that this year to address the Ventanata issue and uh, partner with landowners to uh, come up with treatment plans. And uh, it's a cost share program that uh, gets landowners involved with the treatment of Ventanata. And it is in Cascade County. That one is down in Eden Hill. Um, So any local landowners that would like to get uh, like to apply for the Ventanata tip, you should contact Brad Holiday at the local NRCS office. Uh-huh. There you go. Wow. Now, some, you're talking about weeds. Some of them you shouldn't pull, or any of them should you pull? That's right. So there are certain weeds that are what's called rhizotomous, which means they can uh, sprout out of their roots. So if you just pull them, then they can uh, actually spread further. And actually, when you pull it, you may end up with two or three more. I, well, hey, when I've been on the River's Edge, this just dawned on me. When I've been on the River's Edge Trail before, they, they have signs asking you to pull some weeds. And they say, hey, like 15 or five for every 15 minutes you're out here, right? Yep. So that was actually started by a local guy, a local school teacher here in town, Dan Wilkins. And... Spotted knapweed is one of those that you can effectively pull. It is not rhizotomous. So, yes, if you're on the North Shore Trail or any trail and see spotted knapweed, absolutely pick a couple handfuls and, uh, you know, take it out with you, but don't take it somewhere else. Put it in a plastic bag (laughs) and in the dumpster. (laughs) 
I guess my but going back to my question. So this woman identifies Christina identifies this purple flower yeah. thing weed, and she's like, ask if it is. I don't know what anything looks like. I'm walking. It doesn't matter if it's poison ivy or if it's poison ivy is pretty. It you know it's just a plant. It's <laughs> in my way. I'm trying to walk through the hike. So how am I supposed to know if anything is noxious or not? And I'm kind of asking you a trick question. So if you contact the local MSU extension office or um, the Weed Control Association, you can get little field guides that you can take with you while you're recreating to identify those noxious weeds. And it will also give you a little bit of information on the habitat they like and the impacts and identifying characteristics and uh, what the proper control measures are for that weed. So this is pretty much like weed or bird watching, but for but weeds. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. You get to be. There's a new there's a new recreational avenue for some of you guys. <laughs> well, you could be beat weed identifiers. Well, weed watchers. My trick question is like, it shouldn't matter if I can identify it or not, as long as I play clean go. There oh. you go. Yep. Because everyone, well, not everyone else. A lot of people are like me. Are like, hey, I don't know what they look like i'm not saying i don't care what they look like but looking through this pam or the book that you have i'm not gonna be able to spot the difference so as long as i just clean up before i leave i'm be it doesn't matter if i can identify them or not because i played cleaned and i went you did your due diligence at that point but you have a lot of people who like to be scientists right and so that's a great point most invasive species detections are actually made through citizen science and reporting it to the proper authorities. However, if you're not one of those nerds and <laughs> uh, you want to just recreate responsibly and make sure that you're not spreading any of these species around, if you always clean, drain, dry, or play clean, go, don't move your firewood or squill on pigs, then chances are you're not going to move any of these threats around, whether you know what the actual threats and impacts are or not. I think I'm the oddity here. I don't like bird watching. I particularly don't like to identify leaves or flowers. And now that you're saying that there's, there's people out there, there are civilians or, you know, citizens that will go through storm tracking certifications by the national weather service so they could be you know storm Storm chasers storm spotter storm chaser i never want to do that maybe because of my background but you know it doesn't have to be your field of expertise no colin here you could just have a nerd interest (laughs) those are colin's words not mine we love nerds if you want to nerd out we can nerd out but (laughs) if you just want to know how to prevent the spread then uh go to invasivespecies.mt.gov and there you can find information on the various different prevention campaigns and practices as well as pathways of how we move around these different invasive species. You had really cool maps that you showed us of where invasive species are, how they travel. It was really, really neat map. Are those maps on that website? The maps you can find through FWP. Uh, and those are, they have distribution maps for uh, the invasive aquatic plants that we have in Montana, as well as the invasive aquatic animals like the New Zealand mud snail. 
So one of the invasive species that I learned about, which blew my mind because there are so many of them around, I would have never guessed they were invasive, is bullfrogs. The American bullfrogs. That's right. Yeah, and uh, so I guess <laughs> I'm gonna, I guess, be have the apocalyptic message again. Do it. Do I it. guess I'm just a, um, a, a habitual pessimist. I can't help it. Um, well, if I studied things that are ruining the environment every I would, day, I'd be I'd like, well, we're doomed. Too. We're doomed. Yep. So there actually, there's not a ton of research on the American bullfrogs. However. They were introduced from the southeast where they're native through aquarium dumping. So <laughs> I'm actually going to make one more plug on another prevention campaign. And the slogan for that is don't let it loose. <laughs> and what that pertains to is not dumping your aquarium into uh, water bodies because that is how the American bullfrog was introduced. Was It was originally brought up by people from the southeast as a food source for the fried frog legs, then someone had the bright idea to dump them into uh, native water bodies here. And through doing that, on top of being an invasive species with no natural biological controls and out-competing native amphibious species and being voracious feeders, they also carry what's called chytrid fungus, and this is what more research is needed on, but it has been shown that this chytrid fungus is a disease-causing pathogen for the native amphibian species. So on top of the uh, competition for resources that American, I mean, yes, the American bullfrogs pose to native amphibian species, they can also be potentially decreasing the populations of native amphibian species through this chytrid fungus. So the, so this go. So here's the deal. You may think you're just setting your goldfish free or your bullfrog free to go back into the nature. No, you're not. S stop. Have the tough conversations with your family about where these animals come from and how you're just going to put them in a box and bury them in your backyard instead of setting them free and if that's a little too morbid for you then try to rehome it <laughs> find find a, a foster parent or if you want something more morbid you can explain what gigging is <laughs> so gigging is where people sharpen sticks and go hunt american bullfrogs by spearing them frog gigging and you get so, this, this, the flashlight right and you shine it in their eyes mm -hmm. yeah startles so that delicious. is one that you can hunt if you're into that sort of thing <laughs> A lot and of they're really are. delicious frog legs are great is what i've been told I've tastes like any. chicken <laughs> everything does <laughs> um I can pretty much say that you could get your doctorate in American bullfrogs because one of the um, requirements is to find a hole in research. And you already just told us that there there's needs the to hole. Be, there's, and you said potentially. You got it. You just pretty much wrote the thief it. So thesis. are you going to give me an honorary PhD then? Yes. yes. Sweet. Yes. I'll take it. We'll print out the certificate and everything. We'll get it notarized. I'll sign it. I'll, yeah. We'll, we'll send we'll it to We'll do whatever you. it takes. It's in the mail. <laughs> So one of the cool things you told us was about goldfish. And now you can't, let me preface this with, folks, you can't go out into 
Tiber Reservoir or Francis or Holter and fish for goldfish. That doesn't exist. Because they don't bite or what? Well, because they shouldn't be in our waters. They're an invasive species that happen because you dump your stuff in our water streams. But they can get pretty big. That's right. They they basically never stop growing. They're a carp <laughs> species. And just depending on the size of their habitat and their resources determines how big they get. So I have a, a bone to pick with you. You said that goldfish are popular at fairs for prizes because they're difficult to kill. How come everyone I've ever owned as a child <laughs> Maybe that's you. <laughs> Is it me? Everyone, it's even on Finding Nemo where that was his present last year. And it's this, this goldfish upside down in a bag. Well, I, yeah, I don't know how to help you with it's that one. It's just me again. Okay, yeah. I'm the oddity that I can't. Somehow they survive in that plastic bag all those days while you're playing the game. So I don't know what you're doing. A two-week-long fair where it's hot in a plastic bag with no no air. No water. They survive, but they get home to the hazard household. (laughs) They're done for. And then they're dumped in the toilet. (laughs) Don't do that. But they're dead. So yes, if they're already dead, you can do that. But if you if you flush uh, certain things without making sure that it's been killed off, they can potentially. It's a little bit of a long shot, but they can potentially make it back into natural water systems. Okay, so the the aqua- I want to meet someone who does aquarium dumping, not like not actively, but just you know, what's their reasoning on like I have this snake don't want it anymore let's just release it to my neighbors i guess they think they're doing a good thing and the humane thing but they're actually killing more animals by releasing (sighs) it and so that's actually the thing that's why they're having to drain lake elmo this year in billings is because of the asian clams which they think were introduced by aquarium dumping they're not sure but they really don't have any other explanation for it and they're spending $750,000 of the state's money this year to drain that and kill off the uh, Asian clams. And everything else in it. And everything else in it as well. And the reason for that is because Lake Elmo is fed by a irrigation canal, and they are worried about the clams spreading downstream and clogging water systems for farmers and ranchers and reducing flow rates in their irrigation systems. Which is the same thing that the invasive mussels can do as well, uh, which is another reason that those are also highly important to agriculture as well as recreational opportunities. You gave us a staggering number of what it would cost to fix the mussels or clam situation in the state if we were to get it out of control. Yeah, so the estimated economic impacts to the state of Montana if invasive mussels were introduced is approximately 234 million dollars that's a, a lot year, of freaking money that's a lot yep wow well because they also clog up and reduce flow rates in hydroelectric dams so that's a huge cost all those systems would have to be periodically decontaminated um if if introduced, because any water body that they're... What's a in- dam? We don't know anything about that. We're like, we're no we're, damn you experts. You live in the best damn town. Oh, yeah, but we're no damn experts, so... Um, 
<laughs> We're waiting for a special monumental episode to bring in our damn expert. Probably but... in our 52nd, you know. <laughs> well, that will be our year one. Yeah, our one year anniversary episode. We've got damn experts in the oh, in the wings. There you go. Bring in your damn expert, and he can tell you how much it costs him to decontaminate his dam every year. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, it all sounds horrible if people don't clean, drain dry, play clean, dry, squeal on the pigs, and the other one, the... Uh, don't let it loose. Don't let it loose. And don't move firewood. That's what Tree said. But <laughs> that's, be- that's better than don't move your firewood. Yeah, well, that's I, what I like that said. one better. Yes. Um, so, ladies, you do have a leg to stand on when complaining to your husband or yourself, you know, anyone, um, for just leaving that stuff dirty. <laughs> Clean off your mud. Yes. Now, one of the things we've talked about is Russian olives. They're trees that you'll see around the landscape of Great Falls. Um, and they're pretty and they're big trees and they they grow here which is always something special fun but they shouldn't be that's right so they were originally introduced because like you said they're they're pretty they were used as an ornamental as well as to combat erosion um originally because they grow really well in that riparian corridor however they uh, choke out the native species of willows and cottonwoods in those areas and will outcompete them and choke out the native plants and trees. You just see a tree fight happening. So they are really good for controlling erosion, but uh, it's much more preferable and beneficial for wildlife and habitat and that sort of thing to do that with native species such as uh, willows. So there's another invasive flora (laughs) that grows that you talked to us about on the banks that gets really thick. Sandalwood? No, the the buckthorn. (laughs) There you go. And there's a lot of that in south central Montana, but one that you don't see too often up here where we're at. And so that's another important one to always clean, drain, dry especially your wading boots with that one because the seeds are really tiny and as you're leaving the river those can stick to your boots and then if you go somewhere else upstream to a more pristine headwater situation or to a different part of the state that doesn't have them you can move them that way and they they really do choke out and actually kill like big old growth cottonwoods in the in the riparian zone hmm don't do that. No, don't do any of this stuff. I mean, if you're going to recreate, recreate responsibly. As we've said before, don't don't carry this stuff around with you. Just leave it where it is. That's pretty much the bottom line. Is people move invasive species and don't move it around with, with these prevention practices. Yeah. Well, Colin, we're glad that you've been on the podcast today and to... <laughs> entertain all of our listeners because we love this presentation every time we get it and honestly they didn't get the best version because they you know if if you are like rebecca and other people that like to see the visual dem- or uh visual displays of the muscles and the posters and all that 
Fun stuff. Um, we can include that on the show notes as well as the links that Colin mentioned, the invasivespecies.mt.gov. And then we will have some cool posters for downloadable um, if you want to display them and show everyone to not, uh, or to not, what's it called? Not move the wood. What's the saying? Don't move, don't, don't move, move the wood. wood. That's what Trees said. It's pretty simple. Yeah. I was just trying to set myself up. <laughs> Didn't work that well. Um, but that is an important thing. We have said it before. We'll say it again. We'll continue to say it. Outdoor recreation is a big thing. And we know that's why you're coming into Great Falls. Just do it with some responsibility so that we aren't causing more problems for future recreators in the area. Yep. If you want to come back and enjoy those same visits upon your return, then follow these prevention practices. I just think it is so much fun that we got to talk again about invasive species and share with the world what we got to learn the first time we visited with Colin. And if we can find ways to do more segments about invasive species and have pictures and do it on video and watch Mahdi squirm, I think that's really <laughs> going to be a good episode. Well, the first people's buffalo jump, they're doing a plant hike coming up. So maybe you should go on that and you can tell everyone like, hey, that's native, that's not. I can freak more people out. Yeah. <laughs> Spread the message. Not noxious. Share the story. Not noxious species. So if you have any questions or want to know more about what Colin has shared with us today, you can visit us at visit. Whoops. I'm going to go back. You can go to warnodamexperts.com. What's where all of our episodes are listed, including show notes on this particular one, which I'm pretty sure is going to be called. That's what tree said. <laughs> I like it. Um, if not, if Jason any... was really angling for squeal on pegs. Ah, uh, nope, nope. Uh, that's what Tree said. Edward does not. <laughs> that's what Tree said because we don't have the pig problem yet. Unless people from, unless the the pigs don't know that the border's closed. Yeah. Then they didn't get the message. You'll be good. If you have any questions, you can always email me at information at visitgreatfalls.org. And you can give us a call at 406-761-4436. And we'll do anything we can to answer your questions. Colin, thank you so much for being on our podcast. It's Montana's number one podcast. Hundreds of thousands of people have listened to it. And we couldn't be happier to have such a great platform to share information about the greatest damn city in the state of Montana, Great Falls. And until we see you all here in Great Falls soon, we hope you're having fun creating memories wherever you are now. Bye-bye. And please don't be depressed after this. (laughs) (laughs) We are no damn experts as the recorded claims from Great Falls, Montana covering what you need to know about this amazing damn town. Damn, that felt good. On the next episode of War No Dam, experts were tired and it shows because we had over 5,000 visitors in Great Falls, Montana in a single weekend. But don't worry, we had a guest on and we talked about all things Lewis and Clark Interpretive Center and the festival coming up in July. We're No Damn Experts is produced by Great Falls Montana Tourism with original music by the best damn musician, Joel Corda.